From the Financial Times in London, I'm Matthew Vincent and this is FT News. With just a couple of weeks of 2015 left to go, the year is set to break recent records for merger and acquisition activity. Pharma companies have spent billions on buying themselves new patents and lower rates of tax, while consumer companies, from brewers to hotels, have joined the party in search of synergies and global reach. But it has also been another year of corporate wrongdoing and scandal, for once not only in the banking sector, and 12 months of trouble for all commodities groups. So, to relive the year's highs and lows, I'm joined by the FT's company's editor, Brooke Masters. Brooke, I think we have to start in Wolfsburg, Germany, and Volkswagen. Who could have believed what they've done? I have to say, if you had said to me at the beginning of this year, pick the bad guy, Volkswagen would not have been it. But it turns out, for a number of years, certainly at least five and probably more, they have been systematically cheating on their emissions tests, particularly for nitrogen oxides. Now, nitrogen oxides are not harmful and they're not going to kill you, but they are contributing to pollution. And there are legal requirements, particularly in the U.S., that engines must limit their output. Well, the U.S. EPA, which is the environmental agency, discovered, and VW did fess up, that on 500,000 U.S. vehicles, they had installed what is known as a defeat device, which is basically a software program that turns on emission controls when the car is being tested in a lab and turns them off all the other times. Eventually, VW came clean and admitted that 11 million vehicles worldwide, including 8 million in Europe, were fitted with this lovely defeat device, and that they're now going to have to fix it. So far, the company has set aside 1.1 billion euros to fix the VW brand alone. This doesn't count Porsche and Audi, so there may be more. It's also estimated that the company will face substantial fines and penalties from the U.S. and the EU. They've also lost their CEO, and their chairman has left as well, and they are desperately trying to revamp. How bad is this on a reputational level? I and mean, VW, it was all about reliability and trust and German engineering. And it, this has hit their share price. We've seen what's happened to that. It's starting to hit their sales, not quite so much as people might have expected. Do you think it's going to get worse next year? Well, it's interesting. Investors seem very optimistic. Share price dropped initially 40%, and it's now recovered, and it's only about 18 20% down, which suggests that maybe the worst is over. However, VW cannot seem to stop sticking its feet into its mouth. Its new CEO, Matthias Müller, gave a press conference in German, it should be noted, about the company's efforts and promised he would not, I repeat not, go on bended knee to the U.S. He would apologize, but he is going to be confident. Now, the U.S. regulators who have been lied to and have the opportunity to impose lots of penalties are probably not going to be very excited to have read that. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, U.S. regulators generally don't like overconfident Europeans telling them how things are going to be. Yes, we all know how well that came out with, say, BNP Paribas, which ended up paying $8 billion in fines. Exactly. Well, let's turn to another group of companies that have had a pretty torrid 2015, and that's the miners. Uh, We've seen commodities prices tumbling, and this has obviously hit those directly involved in mining. But Glencore, the mining and trading powerhouse, has been hit particularly hard. What's the backstory there? Well, Glencore was going to be different because it was a trader that also owned a miner. It claimed that no matter what happened, it would do fine because it controlled its own supplies, but it also you know, could hedge and it would be great. 
the problem for Glencore has been that in order to buy Extrato, which was the mining half, it had to take on an enormous amount of debt. And when oil prices drop from 110 to $60 a barrel, suddenly you have a lot less cash to pay that debt. Investors have not been happy. To the credit of Ivan Glazenberg, who is the founder and spearhead of that company, they have moved quickly to try and do something. They have been disposing of assets. They did an equity raise. And their share price is also beginning to recover. By all accounts, I think Glencore will be able to service its debt, and it has you know, increased its cost-cutting targets, and it should be okay. But until oil prices and other mining commodity prices get better, it's not going to be good. And uh, Ivan Glazenberg, not the only mining group CEO under pressure. Lots of others having their particular strategies come under scrutiny as prices continue to fall and they have to dispose of assets. That would be Anglo-American, the big gold miner in particular. In particular. They've had a tough investor day, actually, just last week. They unveiled a new strategy for disposing of assets and shutting down unprofitable mines, which is all the things one ought to do. The problem is, if everybody's disposing of assets, who is going to buy them? And that is the big question for Anglo. Investors were not happy with the disposal plans and this the theory that somehow it was all going to come right. Some of them have said off the record that they really would prefer a capital raise and an admission that things are bad. It will be interesting to see what happens in the new year, whether you know Anglo can continue to ride it out or whether something worse will happen. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Buyers would need to be persuaded that they're getting a very good price, which leads me neatly on to pharmaceuticals M&A activity and the prices that are being paid by one drug company for another often in search of, in the case of U.S. companies, lower tax rates in so-called tax inversions. We've seen a few of these. We certainly have. They've come and gone in the news. Some of them have run into trouble with the U.S. tax authorities who've not taken kindly to them. But the biggest of the deals, the mega deal, is Pfizer buying Allergan. Allergan, it should be pointed out, actually is in the U.S. It just happens to be tax domiciled in Ireland. So if Pfizer buys it at a lovely price of $160 billion, Pfizer can then use its overseas cash. And what's crucial about that is under the American tax laws, if a company has cash overseas and never brings it back, they don't have to pay corporate tax on it. If they do bring it back, they do have to pay corporate taxes, and corporate tax rates in the U.S. are quite high. So Pfizer's going to use its overseas cash, buy Allergan, move its tax headquarters to Ireland, at which point he will not have to pay as much U.S. corporate tax, and everyone will be happy, at least on the corporate side. Not the political side, it should be added, because I mean, U.S. politicians did try to clamp down on tax inversions, but it appears to have made no difference whatsoever. The problem in the U.S. is that the tax authorities can only do so much without congressional action. And, you know, we're leading into a presidential election year. We have a Congress in the hands of a different party than the president, and it's very poisonous in Washington. So although everyone thinks these tax inversions are a terrible idea, no one can agree enough to actually pass a bill to do something about it. And the IRS just can't do it without congressional action. So unlikely to be the last of those deals, um, quite possibly? I think not. I mean, it depends sort of how the presidential election comes out in November 2016. If they are all on the same party and they all have the same view, then they could pass something as early as January 2017. So you wouldn't want to enter in a really big deal in, say, June of next year because it wouldn't close in time to be sure that you were safe. And as we're going into the festive season, we can't ignore the other massive deal this year, Mega Brew, AB InBev and SAB Miller. 
an amazing deal. Uh, that's 130 billion. We kept having to redo the top 10 deals of the world chart. That one sees two companies that are enormous and have tremendous penetration in different markets come together. And you wouldn't have thought that the number one brewer could buy the number two brewer and not have antitrust problems. But except for the U.S., which is an important exception, they actually don't overlap that much. ABN Bev comes out of Brazil and has a Belgian bit, and SAB Miller comes out of South Africa. And so they just have managed to split up the world among them. And the two big problem areas for them are the U.S., where they seem to have sorted out by having SAB Miller sell its stake in a joint venture back to Molson Coors, and they hope that will make the U.S. happy. And in China, where they're still sorting out exactly what will happen, but almost certainly one of the brands will get sold back to a Chinese partner, and which will strengthen the local competition and, again, should probably get this deal through. So the fit seems quite good. Do the numbers add up? Do the synergies make sense? It was interesting. They surprised investors by not claiming they would get that many synergies. It was much less than people have tended to expect from AB InBev, which is notorious or at least well-known for its cost-cutting skills. They famously use zero budgeting, which means you don't assume you get the same amount each year. You have to justify your entire budget from the beginning. And they actually had done relatively little cost-cutting compared to what people thought they might be able to do. So maybe it'll work. More than glass half full, which is, uh, which is what you want at this time of year, I think. Yes. Brooke, thank you very much indeed. And remember that you can catch up on the year's top company stories by visiting ft.com forward slash companies between Christmas and New Year.